I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Stony Brook. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book eight, the iconic Boy Crazy Stacy. What an appropriate use of iconic in light of the Netflix show dropping last <laughs> <Yeah>. week. <laughs> All right, I'm going to start with my one sentence summary. Hippie parents who for some reason have eight children hire two 12-year-olds to babysit their kids for two entire weeks at the beach in New Jersey. When you put it that way, it's kind of weird, right? I don't understand the pikes. We like we must begin this discussion today. Yes. I'm so excited. Um, my summary is Stacy abandons Marianne in Sea City to pursue a quote unquote blonde tan hunk of a lifeguard marianne is pissed (laughs) (laughs) okay um mine takes a little more personal uh tack which is all future vacations that esme ever takes are ruined by how extremely fun sea city sounds (laughs) i i I think uh, you know just a, a little bit on that ann and i have talked emily about um different signifiers in our own lives of how we know we didn't grow up rich. And, um, one was that we didn't, our families didn't take vacations. Like we went to go visit elderly relatives, but we never Mm -hmm. went to a place just to go to that place. Um, and I think that's similar with you. You came and Mm -hmm. visited me and your grandma's Mm -hmm. house. Um, (laughs) And, uh, so the idea that the Pikes got to go for two weeks and just like, have fun and not like go visit anybody or do anything and just like do trampoline land and burger garden all day long is like the the ultimate um you know stereotype of a vacation I feel like no wonder you loved Lake Tahoe so much yeah (laughs) even while I was reading this book I was like oh they're like it's like one week in Sea City and they're like wait two weeks and I was like how rich are they (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's twice as expensive <laughs> I know. anyway wait, well before we get any further we should just tell you about the members of the podcast i'm annie chikala a freelance writer i'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth and i'm emily crandall a feminist scholar i'm a total individual and i like health food and I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, please check out our prologue episode. And um, thank you all listeners that we've gotten feedback from so far. If you are listening to this and you haven't given us some feedback, um, if you can rate and review us on iTunes. All right, it's not called iTunes anymore. If you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that's really helpful and really helps people find the podcast or any other, if you use Stitcher or Spotify, any other place that you can rate and review, we would really appreciate it. smash those stars (laughs) so guys i feel like my experience reading this book was colored by the show we just watched (laughs) oh was it i don't know i well i I read it before the show and then i read it again after the show and i like Uh i can't separate out the two anymore (laughs) oh see i i this is my favorite BSC book and was my favorite growing up. And so I had a harder time 
coming back to it as an adult and trying to read it more critically because it, I basically have it memorized still. I think I probably read this book, you know, 200 times. Um, and, and I know it's one of your favorites too. So it was, I, you know, I felt like I knew what was going to happen on each page and it was really hard for me to come back and not just read it in the uncritical way I had always read it, but actually be like, wait a sec, what is up with the Pikes and what is up with Stacy and why does Scott look 37 on the cover of the book? Oh, geez. That's a whole, that's a whole issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, so for the listeners who do not have the original cover or the original Boy Crazy Stacy, the cover is like Stacy holding Claire and then the lifeguard fixing her the cut on her foot, but the lifeguard looks like he's 37. Uh-huh. Who's 40? <laughs> I mean, this guy is like straight up like Fabio, right? Only he's wearing like pleated dockers, it seems like, with his lifeguard shirt that's open down to his belly with his whistle yeah. banging and against his hairy chest. You know, the illustrator uh, also did a bunch of Harlequin romance uh, mm. covers. And so I wonder if this was just a little bit of a crossover from that. Yeah, That's also, so I, I never noticed this before, but see that large house in the back? Oh, you Detail. didn't? I noticed yeah. that. Yeah. Is that, is that That's the, the house, for sure. That's the yeah. house they rent, yeah, right? The yellow gingerbread house, absolutely. Okay, that's at least, yeah. like, if that was an Airbnb <laughs> today, that'd be at least, like, $800 a night or something. On the beach? Yeah. On the beach? I feel like it would be, like, 4000 Oh, geez. Yeah. With that like many bedrooms, two to four thousand a night, I bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. easily. What did the pike? The pikes, man. Okay, should we this just was... talk about the pikes? Okay, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> the pikes are the whole reason we have this podcast, so I feel like we should talk about the pikes. Okay, why don't you just do a quick version of the story you told in the prologue, just for people who didn't listen to it? Like, why okay. are we so obsessed with the pikes? <laughs> My main issue. My main issue with the Pikes, and I love them. Don't get me wrong; they're they're my favorite family that they sit for. Um, is that they don't have rules? They're like hippies. They're real loose with things. They um, are not particularly conservative or religious in any way, and that's very clear through the whole book. But somehow they have eight children, and specifically, I am hyper concerned about their first five children because there's Mallory. And then there's identical triplets, one year younger than Mallory. And then somehow with like three eight-month-olds and a not-yet-two-year-old, Mrs. Pike and Mr. Pike are like, yeah, let's roll the dice and have another one. And then Vanessa's born when the triplets are only one and Mallory's only two. And that just does not seem like any kind of family planning that anybody's going to do, even in the 70s, particularly if you're like loose with things um so i don't get it but i think though that like some so some ideas we floated around over our initial sort of group text around this issue before there was even a podcast before the podcast was a twinkle in our eyes <laughs> um, was like what like what do they do 
like that has to be related to this somehow, right? We figured we eliminated the possibility of like some sort of religious justification for that size of family. But like now doing the Airbnb math, like they're, they must be, <laughs> they must have been wealthy before, right? Like intergenerational wealth. Right. Yeah. I feel like there must be some intergenerational wealth. Mr. Mr. Pike is an investment banker or something like that. They say that later, or is it a corporate lawyer? He's something having to do with like money and corporations. Emily just made like the strongest disgust face. It was hilarious. And uh, Mrs. Pike is a stay at home mom. How does that go with his like loose parenting philosophy? He's a investment banker who explicitly does not give his children any rules, except they're not allowed to swim in the ocean when there's no lifeguard. That's the singular (laughs) pike rule (laughs) don't drown right right it seems like he'd have more in common with richard spear but no yeah yeah i'm wondering like whose family friends of anna and martin's this family was based on oh (laughs) like for sure it it has to be a real family there's no yeah like there's no other way this like she could have come to put all of these things in one house. <laughs> That's my number one question for her. I'm not even kidding. I've like had <laughs> dreams for years about getting to sit down with Anna Martin and, and ask her questions. And if, 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 you know, the fates smile on us and we ever get her on this podcast, starting out, tell us who you base the pikes on. <laughs> because I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And didn't you have a theory about their family planning issue? Mine? I don't, I don't think I had either. a theory. Hmm. Um, maybe I was thinking though, who of the children are, who's like the mistake? There has to be, at least three of them have to be a mistake. <laughs> at least three? Do you mean an accident? <laughs> <laughs> yes, an accident. Mistake. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> my money is on Vanessa Mallory? for sure. <laughs> my money's on Vanessa. I just well, I was going to say Vanessa too. Yeah, but so the other thing is that, like, I could see them having triplets at some point, given what we know about their class status, if they had been having trouble procreating, right? So they might have gone like some early expensive as fuck in vitro fertilization situation that accidentally got them pregnant with triplets. But that wouldn't be the case if Mallory was only a year old. And the triplets were born in 1977. I don't know. So that would have been pre like, yeah, the form of reproductive assistance. I think there was only IUI. The first Mm -hmm. test tube baby I know was born the same year as me and Anne, 1978. So I don't think that I don't think they would have even had access. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, you guys, I just realized something. And they're identical. So they're from one egg. What? Sorry, Anne. Oh, I just realized that. I feel like the Pikes could have their own reality television show <laughs> if that existed. Aww. Like on TLC? Like, what would it be called? <laughs> like, oh, whoops. God. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe I would watch that. <laughs> <laughs> whoops. Starring the Pike family. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, what would it be? What rhymes with pike? I feel like no, it's called whoops. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that's it. 
But then who would be like the puck of the Pike family? Like who would be the, um, the real troublemaker? Margo? Yeah, I'm guessing yeah. Margo. <laughs> <laughs> like there's some hints of it of Nikki in this book, but I, that was one of the things I was going to bring up vis-a-vis gender stuff. But I think it's just an age cusp thing. He's like not mm-hmm. quite mature enough to play with the triplets and everyone else is a girl. So scary. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki the dick. That's pretty good. Nick the dick. He doesn't like it. <laughs> he can still be a dick. I don't think so. <laughs> what about that other kid who hates all girls, including especially babysitters? Uh, we said we weren't going to give him any more airtime because Rob Sorry. is canceled. Stop bringing him up. Uh, Robin, Robin, Nick, your friends. On the reality TV show. (laughs) This means very upset. I don't like it. I don't like it. Okay, should we do some... I just had a few quick gender things on this book. So we can can knock those out before we get into the the meaty psych stuff. Sure. And, I don't know, we should probably talk more about Scott and how weird that is. Um, Yeah, so my quick, quick things, one was just like colonial village what (laughs) what colonial village on the jersey shore and like i'm sure it's not the good kind of colonial village (laughs) yeah i was like oh let's just sneak in a little bit more native american erasure just Uh real Uh subtle on the side yeah Yeah, just one quick line there you go (laughs) goodbye (laughs) yeah um so nothing really substantive to discuss there, just a little flag. Right. Yep. <laughs> um, one thing I thought was really interesting in this book was the mother's, hel- like Stacy's kind of internal monologue about the mother's helper thing. Like there's uh-huh. a moment where she's like, hmm, why is it called a mother's helper? Like fathers are parents too. Shouldn't it be a parent helper? But then yeah. like, I don't know, that doesn't really go anywhere. They're still called mother's helpers the rest of the book. <laughs> right. Um, and she's but, like, we're helping Mr. Pike just as much as we're helping Mrs. Pike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I think the Pikes in general are the only parents so far of the babysitting charges where Mr. and Mrs. Pike have equal parenting time. Mm-hmm. Like, um, that we see, you mean. That we see, yeah. Like, yeah. um, uh, the Newtons, like Mr. Newton doesn't exist. <laughs> right. This is, yeah. Except, yeah ostensibly he does since there's a new baby that right. belongs to him in some way. Right. That's like, a good point. Yeah. And Mr. Pezioso just shows up to like be sporty and spoil things for his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But Mr. Pike's like the only dad of the babysitting charges. That's like almost, almost given equal air time and parenting time. Like he's shown parenting. Yeah. Well, um, you better damn well be. Yeah. I guess they have more kids. So it's a bigger burden. Yeah. <laughs> but the other, break. The other mother's helper thing that was interesting in this book is that there's a boy, a boy mother's helper, uh-huh. which they sort of think they're like, oh, a, a boy could be a mother's helper. Ooh, who'd uh-huh. have thunk? Um, look, luckily for Marianne, since Stacy, as Anne pointed out, fails. <laughs> yeah, should we, should we back up and say just a little bit more about the plot, probably? So the sure. so the Pikes the Pikes manage this coup, basically, of getting these two 12-year-olds to watch their children. Basically, it seems like the whole time they're on this vacation, which is the other thing I thought of as a parent. It's like, let's go on a family vacation, and mom and I'll go eat seafood <laughs> in the next town over and go to the colonial village and churn some butter while you Every guys spend single all day. day in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Right. They get um, two nights off. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> so, um, so that was pretty funny. Um, and 
then they're there the whole time. And Stacy becomes obsessed with this lifeguard, Scott, and like leaves Marianne to do all the work. That's the basic arc of the plot, but they mm-hmm. learn about each other along the way. But the, the Pikes, while they are shown, like you said, Emily, doing a lot of parenting and Mr. Pike is making breakfast and things like that, they are also quite absent in this book other than like getting them to Sioux City and getting them home. Um, I did like, as a parent who, who recently went to a beach for a few days, I did like... Um, all the time that Anna Martin spends on like how many cartons of garbage they have to take with them and like all of the different things that are involved with getting a family of eight kids to the beach. I thought that that was pretty realistic and I didn't remember even noticing that as a kid. And it's funny how Stacy sort of skirts around, like she mentions it kind of, but not really. Um, so I thought that was funny. But that's basically all that happens. Right. But the, but the mother's helper thing is a thing that appears in the prior book when they're, when the sea city trip first gets proposed uh-huh. as a, an, as an option. And it's like how they refer to themselves on this trip. So they're not babysitters. They're like mother's helpers, which I, yeah. And Stacey rightfully when one minute is like, wait, why are, why are we calling ourselves that? But then it's just mm-hmm. accepted in the rest of the, the plot, yeah. which I just thought was kind of an interesting that, that felt very dated to me. People still use that term. Really? So I, you know, having a 12 a year old now myself as of, as of a couple of days ago, after yesterday, um, they, that's how people talk about hiring a younger babysitter when you're not going to leave, but you're not going to be with the kid. Right. So if somebody's like, we have to clean out the garage. So can you come over and be with so-and-so while mm-hmm. we do that? It's like um, rich families I nannied for in my twenties. They're like, yeah, can you be my nanny? But I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> it's like, Oh, okay. Okay. That's weird, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I'm 25, so. but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that people still use the term. Interesting. There's gotta be yeah. a better term. I mean, I think parent helper is a better term. Yeah. I guess the helper part seems a little weird too. I mean, uh, what are you doing if not helping? But it's like, I don't know. Yeah. It sounds like a a side dish you get make out of a box. Like hamburger helper. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> oh, man. Tuna helper was good. Ew. Ew. That sounds so gross. <laughs> You're wrong. Tuna helper? Yeah. It's really wow. good. You're wrong. That's a personality trait. I have to note. The best thing. <laughs> all right what Um, what else stood out to you um that was mostly it i thought a lot of the stuff around like the distribution of care work and you know parenting and how they talk about mother's helper was kind of interesting and part of it i i think stacy's kind of like burgeoning uh intro to feminism is really blatant in this book you know she's like thinking about this stuff but she's not thinking about it that hard and she's like the second there's a a hunk (laughs) nearby she's like who cares if i'm if i have a job to do as a mother's helper i'm gonna go fetch sodas for an adult man (laughs) (laughs) what kind of soda do you think scott drinks oh something gross like grape The first thing that came to mind for me was did not exist in 1987 when this book came out, but I thought of like surge. Oh, oh like Mountain like Dew. Jolt? Mountain Dew? Yeah, baby. Give me that Mountain yeah. Dew. 
Well, but she runs back to the Pike's house to get the soda. So presumably it has to be a soda that the Pikes are allowed to drink. So like, do we think the kids are all drinking caffeinated soda? (laughs) Only one rule, Emily. I don't drink. Only one rule. (laughs) Only one rule. So they could all be totally coked up. Who knows? Oh, God. Yeah. And then the only other thing was Nikki's girl hating. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of that in this book. He like doesn't want to. He's always pointing out, that's a girl activity. I don't want to sit with the girls. And nobody really pushes back on that one. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I read that, I think, as Anna Martin intended it, of just, it was less about girl hitting and more about not liking being left out um, with the triplets running off on their own. It was decidedly described as girl hating. So you're not wrong. Um, And I I thought that that was like his cover, basically. Mm, That he doesn't have to be ashamed about his, his FOMO if he disguises it as not wanting to play with the girls. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Exactly. Like, cause to just be like, you guys, I really want to be included. And you know, I care about you is too vulnerable a position for a dick like Nikki. Yeah. For real. (laughs) Nick the dick. (laughs) Poor Nikki Pike. <laughs> the whole next book is a lot about Nikki, you guys. You got to get on board with Nikki. Really? All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, he if he stops hating girls so much, maybe I can get on board. <laughs> uh, anyway, yep, that was all my gender stuff. Okay. That's me. So, did well, you wrote on our notes what the fuck, Scott? Um, and so oh, I did. I yeah. Had, I didn't know if you had more to say about the hunk of the lifeguard. <laughs> I was curious if I, and I wrote this in the club notebook. I I didn't get, I I was very far into the book when I was like, is he like sexually harassing her? Like what is, what is happening? Cause he calls her all of these pet names and she's into it for sure. There's like passive consent and I'm sure she's looking at him like a puppy dog. And that's actually one thing I think is great about this cover is that Stacy looks very young. She doesn't look sophisticated. She Mm -hmm. looks like a 12 year old looking at a, a, romance novel Fabio man Um, and and maybe that's what Hodges was going for with this cover Um, but I was like is is there something more sinister here like what's his deal is it just to get sodas because that seems like I don't know it doesn't seem like a big enough payoff to spend your time flirting with all these 12 year olds does he like get off on the attention is it like a power thing like why is he calling her like love and cutie and like giving her his whistle and stuff like what if he's literally 18 and leaving for college and she just finished seventh grade like what what's his deal and just made a really grossed out face (laughs) (laughs) i was just when you said giving her his whistle it sounded kind of it sounded a little you. I think she okay. did that on purpose. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a good euphemism. But really, though, what what do you like? What's this guy's backstory? And paint us a picture. Who is Scott? I mean, I think Scott just thinks he's hot shit, and he's like seventeen, and he thinks he's cute, and he gets a lot of 18. attention from girls. Oh, he's 18. eighteen. He's a man. He's a man. He's a man. Okay, well, that changes things a little bit because I thought he was 17. Yeah. I think he's, he's just, he just gets off on attention. That that was my interpretation of his his actions. Like, I don't think he actually likes Stacey. Yeah. He's just like condescending and kind of like, oh, there's just like this cute puppy dog following me around. 
So yeah. he just throws her the crumbs of the pet names to continue the attention. It's like intermittent and think, reinforcement. And I think the fact that she like fetches him sodas kind of proves that he's just using her as, you know, a plaything kind of. Yeah. I mean, Esme, I know you did your dissertation on adolescent romantic relationships, but to the lay person, it sort of read to me like Stacy was like inflating a lot of the or uh, mm-hmm. inflating a lot of those interactions. You know, he's probably just like a stoner on the beach using pet names because he can't remember the real name. And she's like, <laughs> oh, he loves me. Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's exactly correct. That's exactly correct. I'm trying to be a little too, too academic about it in this situation. Even though that's he, I mean, he could also be a creep. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I just started thinking about power and control and it was like, I, you know, as I rounded chapter 13, I was like, Oh, I got really look. Concerned. It's not a great look for Scott. That's for sure. No, it's not yeah. a great look for Scott. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I did do my dissertation on adolescent romantic relationships and, um, uh, cross-gender friendships. Um, and so I, I won't say a ton about that today because it's going to come up in a lot of books. So I don't want to, you know, blow it all at once. And we have some other things to talk about in this one. Um, but I did really like the way she portrayed, um, Stacy as boy crazy. I think the title of this one is, is both, uh, a classic because it's just funny and great, but also I think it's really accurate. And I love that, um, you know, toward the end, it turns out the boy mother's helper is really nice and his cousin is in town and on their last night, um, their free night, Stacy and Marianne go on a double date with Marianne's new friend, Alex and his cousin, Toby. And then Stacy transfers her love and affection to Toby rather swiftly and quickly. Um, but is I think that the technical it, term <laughs> transfer. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm being very academic, um, but I, I really loved how Anna Martin, um, sort of delineated the differences. And so there's this, this chapter where Stacy has apologized to Marianne and she's kind of back with the Pikes. Um, and, uh, the it's chapter 12 and she, um, is spending the day. This is where they make witches castles out of the wet sand, which Anne and I did and talked about for years. Um, and she spends the day with Toby and the Pike kids, just like learning about him and talking about him and talking about their interests. And we learn that his favorite group is another fictional rock band from the eighties called smash. Um, and, um, it's just, it's a, it's a wonderful contrast from how she talks about Scott and like, like you said, inflating these like meaningful looks or these generic pet names because he's too stoned to know who he's actually talking to, to the way like Toby tells her jokes and pays attention to her and asks her questions about herself and they have like an actual conversation. And so I thought that that was just really nicely dealt with. And then there's this, also this apology from Marianne toward the end where um, after she has sort of developed a crush on Alex and gotten interested in him and they actually split up on the double date and Marianne goes off with Alex for a while and Stacy goes off with Toby and they both go in the tunnel of love spelled with a U because it's the Babysitter's Club universe. Um, and she says, I didn't get why you were so obsessed with Scott and I'm sorry I was so mean about it. And like now I kind of get it. It's like Marianne's first interest in boys that sort of bridges that gap that's been present in the beginning between since the beginning between Marianne and Stacy. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, does Marianne get her period in this book? Do you guys think? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. After, right after the tunnel of love, it's like a rite of passage. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Just checking. Just checking. Um, uh, uh, I have some other psychology stuff to talk about, but Anne, I wanted to ask you quickly, um, because in chapter 12, since we were just talking about it, Stacy describes how Toby is dressed. Um, and it really struck me. The, the pop culture of it is, is kind of over the top. And I was wondering if you had anything to report as our like pop culture 1980s, early 90s expert. Yeah, it was he was wearing, what was the print on the shirt? Let's let me find it. Hold on. Okay, so it's the description of how what he looks like is on started on the page on the bottom of page one eleven. Do you want to do you want to read it? Uh, sure. So uh, he was about fourteen years old. Perfect. His brown hair was sort of waved back from his face. It was held out of his eyes with a blue headband. What? <laughs> That's weird. Already, I missed already, the headband. Already <laughs> questionable. Go on. It's better. Um, I was glad I could see his eyes because they were a beautiful deep brown, almost velvety looking. A handful of freckles was sprinkled across his nose and cheeks. He was wearing plain white swimming trunks. Also weird. But his shirt yeah. was amazing. Tanned with silly pictures of cowboy boots and cactuses all over. And his sunglasses black bands with narrow slits from side to side to see through. Totally cool. I wish Claudia had been there. Okay, okay so are these so, like Jordy LaForge glasses? I don't I, know. You know what? I really glossed over that passage on the first read and second read. That's incredible. It's incredible, right? I feel like these are Jordy LaForge glasses. Totally. And, I just, I'm trying to even draw a picture of this dude with the headband and the Jordi LaForge glasses and then this cowboy, sh- like, I just can't. Should I, should I try to, should we all try to draw this and then you can post it on Instagram, <laughs> our interpretations of Toby's outfit? I'll give it a go. Yeah, I think okay. that's a great idea. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. We'll do that right after the oh, right after I the also podcast. missed that his hobby was quote unquote computers. Yeah. Yeah. She's geography. Tra- <laughs> like that's such an arbitrary thing to hate. I know. <laughs> He's probably really bad at memorizing names of places. Yeah. Mm. Um, can we talk about this joke that he tells Stacy? Yeah. Where she laughs and laughs and laughs. Yeah. Okay, hang on. Let me find it. Um, it's on page 114. I think that you and Emily should do a dramatic uh, reading of it. Okay. Am I Toby or Stacy? What are you? Okay. Why don't you say the joke and I'll be, I'll be seen. The, the quote unquote joke. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to read the, what's, what's it called? The text between quotations? Mm-hmm. Dialogue? Text. The, the non-dialogue. Oh, the other text. <laughs> so said Toby, as he topped off a large castle, did you hear about the dying man named Al who wanted a city named after him? No. I replied, smiling. Well, this guy Al knows he hasn't got much time left. So he says to his friend, promise me they'll name a city after me. And his friend says, I promise, Al. And Al says, will it be big? And the friend says, sure will, Al. And Al says, will it be pretty? And the friend says, count on it, Al. They named a city Al, I interrupted. Toby grinned and went right on. And Al says, and you promise it'll be named after me? And the friend says, you betcha, Mr. Bukerke. Get it? Said Toby. The guy's name was Albuquerque. Albuquerque. 
As in New Mexico? I get it, I said. I fell over in the sand laughing hysterically. <laughs> that was a terrible joke. Anyway, like, okay. First of all, what is this? Why was this in the story? Like, what is this? What point does this joke have? And also, it like, takes up an entire page <laughs> of a not very long book. <laughs> okay, so you want to know what the symbolism is of the Albuquerque joke? Sure, yeah, no. I, will, I will explain this to you. Okay. <laughs> I think it's put in there to signify that Toby cares about trying to impress Stacy. He cares about you know, catching her eye and um, making sure she feels like that attention is being paid and that he's listening to her. And so he's going to invest in telling this stupid joke to for for the outcome of seeing her laugh hysterically and making her happy. Honestly, I'm surprised he knew that Albuquerque was in New Mexico. Right, because he hates geography. Yeah. <laughs> Good point, Emily. That's an astute find. <laughs> those, those are the kind of scoops you'll get here on Stuck in Stony Brook. <laughs> Real elevated discourse. Yeah, that's the second question we'll ask Anna and Martin. <laughs> How does someday. Toby know where Albuquerque is? <laughs> if he hates okay, geography. Also, do you think Casey actually thought the joke was funny? I think she did because the haze of love was clouding her better judgment. I mean, she fell over. She was laughing so hard. Yeah, but the joke is what leads her to that realization of love. You know, she wasn't in love before. She's in love after the joke. Mm. Yeah, it it closes the deal. Mm -hmm. That's how Toby pulls with the Albuquerque joke. God, Stacey. Well, there's some psychology research, right, that when you get um, physiologically aroused, not sexually aroused, but like excited that you'll attribute what's happening around you to that arousal. So there's this really famous study that they did in Cornell, the Cornell Bridge study, where they had undergraduate men walk across these like rope bridges that hang over the gorges in Ithaca. And um, they had a control group walk across and somebody just comes and asks like what the time is. And then they rate their level of fear and things like that. And then another one is like a Confederate beautiful woman comes across and asks what the time is. And then those men rated that they were like romantically attracted to her as a, and attributed their like physiological arousal of being really high up to being attracted to this woman, as opposed to the fact that they were really high up. And so I wonder if it's partly just something like that, that she was just like excited and giddy and interested in him. And so then she was like, "Ah," because she was already kind of worked up so that the joke seemed funnier than it was. Interesting. What if Toby was like, that joke killed. And for the rest of his life, he's trying to tell this joke to women. And he's like, no one thinks it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what if it keeps working? Okay. So I have another psychology thing to talk about because I was really, I literally woke up early this morning and was like, huh, maybe this angle will work because I was really trying to figure out why Stacy would be, you know, so interested in Scott in the first place and what, what, point Anna Martin was trying to make versus like thinking that he's cute from far away versus like actually trying to have a relationship with him, even though clearly we know in general, Stacy has a level head, right? And she's only either 12 or just 13. He's going to college. 
like Stacy in her right mind knows that he's too old for her. Right. Yeah. And it's one thing to sit on the beach and be like, yes, the hot lifeguards on duty again today. I get to look at him. And it's another thing to like try to make a relationship with that person. I was just going to say that the inner monologue bit where she's like, oh, he I, I know he wanted to say more, but he just couldn't. He must be in love with me. Like, how do you get how do you get to that conclusion? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's shy. <laughs> right. So I was wondering if um, Anna Martin was sort of uncritically uh, replicating some of the talk of the day around evolutionary psychology. Um, so a- Emily's nodding uh, knowingly. Anne, are you familiar with evolutionary psychology at all? No. Tell me. So it's this brand psychology. It's sort of related to sociobiology. Um, and it's this idea that um, some of the decisions that we make, particularly there's a whole subset about um, romantic decisions um, and sexual decisions, have to do with what would be evolutionarily advantageous for our ancestors. Um, and this is, by the way, super controversial field of psychology subfield. And I will post a bunch of things about both sides of it to the website. Um, it's probably beyond our conversation today, but I'll post a bunch of links. Um, and, but the particular romantic things posit, and w- one of the reasons that it's controversial is that um, the hypotheses are not falsifiable, which is right. a problem in science, right? So, um, but one of the hypotheses is that men prefer certain things in potential sexual and romantic partners and women prefer certain things for evolutionary reasons. And so men prefer uh, a certain waist to hip ratio that's more in line with the hourglass figure because that's associated with like childbearing hips and the ability to produce multiple offspring, which is the whole point of evolution, right? Is that our fitness is how much can we reproduce our genes um, and prefer younger people Um, because then they have more childbearing years ahead of them. And so it basically makes an excuse for like old men that leave their wives and marry young women, um, because that's just what we're supposed to do evolutionarily. You know, like every John Updike protagonist is protected by evolutionary psychology um, ideas. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, to the extent that Scott is actually interested in Stacy here, that would fall in line with that theory, right? She's younger um, and has those childbearing years. But then when we meet his actual <laughs> girlfriend, Stacy specifically mentions that she's curvy and looks at least 18. And so she's sort of better um, reproductive fitness than Stacy in that way. Because as we see on the cover, while while the top of her bathing suit is filled out very nicely, as Stacy is makes sure to tell us, she's still small and young and thin, which and thin is not as good in evolutionary psychology. But I think yeah. it even works better from Stacy's perspective of why she would be interested in Scott. He's gainfully employed so he could provide security (laughs) for her babies. And he's older, which indicates more stable and he's like ripped. And so those are all things that women are supposed to want in terms of evolutionary because then it's more likely that your your future babies will be protected protected for. And why she's initially so dismissive of Alex and Toby, like who are these you know, femme boys hanging around children. being mother's helpers, taking care of children. Yeah. That's not cool. Evolutionary That's not psychology. Masculinity. Exactly. <laughs> Evolutionary psychology would state that we don't want people to be, you know, we don't want men to be taking care of children because their job is to make as many babies as possible and yeah. leave the women to take care of them. And aside from the non-falsifiability aspect of the sort of 
particularly in the study of psychology, that the evolutionary thesis has a really long history, like pre-Darwin, that was really complicit in the like justification for colonialism, for example, that like pre-civilized societies that don't have like hierarchical gender differentiations are not capable of rational thought. Therefore, like we are obligated to go teach them about like how you should order society hierarchically and like what roles women should have in order to produce Uh civilization. So like Uh the the specter of the civilized world relies on these evolutionary, this like central evolutionary dichotomy between like men's roles and women's roles. Right. And it also was related to, uh, you know, not just super sexist, but super, super racist related to eugenics and things like, you know, it has its roots in those kinds of things. But then in the late eighties and into the nineties, it had this resurgence where it was like, Oh no, 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 we're not eugenicists. We're just, we're just looking at the objective data. We just want (laughs) to, we're trying to carve nature at its joints. And we're not saying because it is that way, it should be that way. We absolutely want this new neoliberal society where this isn't the case. And we need to acknowledge the, the, the nature of it all. It's not only nurture. We need to see where this comes from. The importance um, of hips. And so, yeah, hips, baby, hips. I remember that so, was a thing that dudes used to say in high school, commenting oh. girls' childbearing hips. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. We didn't talk about that in the 90s, but it's because our clothes were baggier. (laughs) So what if what if um, Mrs. Pike is like 25 and like Mr. Pike is like a wealthy old man? (laughs) Now we figured out the Pike. It all comes back to evolutionary psychology. Yes. (laughs) Solution to all of our problems. Uh, Yeah. I know, right? But it kind of fits with this book. Yeah. Do we have any context clues for how old Mr. and Mrs. Pike are? Not yet. Not yet. Not so far in the series. I'm sure we get to that later, but not so far. But I want to say what I love and give Anna Martin credit for is that she turns it upside down later in the book because it turns out Stacy realizes, no, Scott's not good for me. And she, because of his hilarious Albuquerque joke, she falls for Toby. Literally. And then Toby and Alex are held up as the the good partners, even though they're pretty, like, especially for 1987, they're pretty gender bending. They're taking care of kids. They're like, you know, quieter, sweet, thoughtful, (laughs) you know, um, Anna Martin was really presenting this alternative to girls of like, okay, it's fair. I see why you're into that hunk, but like, just look at that hunk, but actually date a boy like Toby or Alex. Um, so I, I, I ultimately think that this book is a rejection of evolutionary psychology, sexual, um, even, even as it principles. taps into its logics. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, well, she turned it upside down. And this isn't, by the way, isn't even getting into all of the problems faced in evolutionary psychology by explaining homosexuality and transgender right. people. And the, I mean, there's layers and layers of complication. I, I, I hope that it does not come off like I'm an evolutionary psychologist. Um, and it's an interesting thing to, to read about and think about. So that's what jumped out to me. And what did you what else did you see in this other than Smash and the um, Alex's? outfit and there's not a lot of pop culture stuff just because it's so focused on the narrative of sea city but i mean i feel like there were so many things in this book one of the things as we mentioned this is like just like how fun sea city seems and especially since we're kind of all like writing out this pandemic 
it was like really making me like, oh man, this sounds really fun. Right. Well, I was thinking about how the other day you sent a picture from the last, one of the last times Esme visited New York with the kids when you still lived here and we all went to Coney Island <laughs> with the yeah. girls. Remember that? And I was like, oh, Sea City. Yeah. <laughs> Coney Island. I know. I and mean, we can't go to, tra- how would you clean trampoline land for COVID-19? You oh, can't. Yeah. No, this, that's going to be no, closed for a year. <laughs> I hope trampoline land doesn't go out of business. Yeah, this land is done. <laughs> I think Bird Garden is done, even though, you know. You okay, let's talk about breakout. No, no, mushrooms were outdoor seating. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But, like, I also, let's talk about Burger Garden because I feel like Adam Martin painted oh this God. really yes. amazing picture of this place. And it's like, Mm-hmm. People dressed up as animals serve you food. You eat on mushrooms. Yeah. There's like a, a chocolate yeah. fountain or what, like chocolate. What's, what is it? Uh, where they declare one. There's a one. tree. Oh, a chanted tree. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Where you can get a golden ticket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and this probably this is my only real complaint about the Netflix series. <laughs> is that I felt like the Burger Garden and the Boy Crazy Stacy episode was really lacking. I wanted mm-hmm. to see some waiters in animal costumes. I wanted them to be sitting on some mushrooms. And it just looked like a regular burger place. Those poor waiters. Those those are like That's teenagers in the late 80s. They're probably getting paid $3 an hour. And they're not being tipped because they're, all of their patrons are 12-year-olds babysitting <laughs> other children. <laughs> and they're in fur costumes on the yeah, Jersey Shore. That sounds horrible. Outside. Truly horrid. <laughs> Yeah, it says there, on page 59, this person says, there are some empty mushrooms over by the enchanted tree, said a large mouse. The mouse was holding menus in her paws. This way, please. And I was like, that is like the most depressing. It just, it didn't sound fun. I just pictured this poor teenager like, yeah, this way. You know what? Screw you guys. It's enchanted. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they have fancy costumes like they do in Disneyland with air conditioning in them. And that teenager loves that job. They get great tips. And I don't know if I'll let you take Burger Garden from me. That's it's exploitation. Me from me. Me. <laughs> no, no. It's the best job in C-City. Everyone, like, <laughs> they buy their time at Crabs for Grabs until they can get a job at Burger Garden. Oh, That's, like, yeah. where they want to be. I feel like Burger Garden could be Maybe a it's worker-owned. Wait, What? I said maybe it's worker owned. Oh, oh, it's a collaborative. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. a co-op. Yeah. Oh, and what what did you say in? Oh, it's like this could be another spinoff. <laughs> Burger Garden. <laughs> in addition to whoops. Oh. Whoops. Oh, it's about Burger show. Garden. It's about, Burger. it's about the workers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Burger Garden. It's like how Parks and Rec spun off. I think I'd watch that. And this is Burger Garden. Yeah. I would watch that show. Another thing to, we mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, but like just what are Mr. and Mrs. Pike doing during this entire time? Yeah. Like, no, like really, what are they doing? Are they like making another baby? Like what's going on? (laughs) No more children. (laughs) All of the rest of them are so close together and Claire's already five. So I don't feel like they're making another baby. I Mm -hmm. feel like that that ship has sailed, which is why I think D. Pike is not 25. Like we were hypothesizing. Of. Right. Well, if Mr. Pike is an investment banker, can he really take two full weeks off? Is he like taking meetings in C City? Like maybe they're like entertaining clients or something. There's no oh. internet. So Right. 
I think he's taking two weeks off. Things move slower. But it's like, are they at the beach also? But just hanging out like in another place on the beach? Like how much is there to do in Sea City? Right. They send the kids to the beach with the babysitters and then they go to the beach like a hundred feet away. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes they're at the beach. There was like at least one or two scenes where it was hinted like they were there also. Um, But mostly I feel like they're just like reading the paper with a cup of coffee on the porch of that gigantic house, watching the waves and like watching the kids from far away, but not being bothered to. And celebrating colonialism, of course. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Smithtown. Yeah. Um, then a couple other things that jumped out to me was um, like Christie's babysitting story, which was alluded to in the Netflix series. So let me turn to page 85. So Christie's babysitting Karen and Andrew and David Michael and they are tasked with washing Watson's old car, which is a Ford. Mm-hmm. And then while Christy isn't looking, they use steel wool to like wash the car and like take off all the paint. And then Watson sees this and he says, I know you had an emergency, but you were in charge and you should have been keeping a closer eye on them. In a way, it's all right though. See, I've been thinking of having the car painted. I've always wanted a purple car, but there is no real excuse to paint the Ford since we hardly ever drive it. Now I have an excuse. What? I don't know. It's just giving Watson a little more color. But who who always wants a purple car besides me? I mean, I was going to say Anne. <laughs> Anne in 1990, but also still now, probably. Oh, is this where we learn that Anne is like a hardcore Watson apologist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, one yeah. of my favorite lines was on that cool. page. <laughs> we'll get there. Yes. Okay. Well, should we get into favorite lines? Or is there anything anyone else wants to... There was no candy in this book, right? No, there was no candy. I mean, one other thing I thought about was, which I wrote in the podcast notebook, um, the couple that was stuck behind the pikes during miniature golf. (laughs) 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 I was just like, man, they picked the wrong night to go miniature golfing. Like stuck behind eight eight kids. (laughs) While Claire's like taking her 37th turn. Oh, that must suck. Yeah, so that whole chapter, I I was confused by because, I, you know, we miniature golf uh, in, mm-hmm. in Lake Tahoe with our family, me and Emily. And Anna, I, Anna I've been miniature golfing with you like 100 times. And as, as the least athletic person on this podcast, sometimes I'm lucky, but it's not uncommon that I go to the stroke limit. And there's a stroke limit. Like if you get six, you just put six, even if you're not in the hole yet. And then you move along. So what? Why? I don't understand. And then finally, Margo's like, how about if you get to 20, that's the highest you get. Oh, my God. And that's how it speeds up a little. But like basically in this chapter, Stacy and Marianne let them each take like 50 tries at getting the ball in the hole. I don't understand how a that would be fun for anybody. I'm imagining like seven no. pikes being like, oh, like, and being you don't have to imagine it- hard. That's exactly what our family is like <laughs> there. And then most of them are adults. Um, all of them are adults, except, except for, for my children. children. Yeah. We're not the ones sighing. No. <laughs> 
Um, it's all of the, it's all of the boomers that are sighing. And June cruises um, through those courses, man. She's maniac. That's true. My, my kid, my younger kid is quite good, but, um, yeah, I just don't like the whole premise of that chapter was weird to me. Yeah. I just feel like they were there for like four hours. Oh, easily. Right. But then oh I feel like the weird plot point at the end, or at the end though, there's like all this suspense when they get the balls in, and you're like, "What's going to happen?" And then it's like, "Oh, Claire won three free rounds," and Stacy's like, "Oh boy, how do we circumnavigate this?" And then mm-hmm. and then it just ends, and it's like never, <laughs> never raised again. No, As like, no it's not, it is raised again when it on is? the rainy day when Mallory takes. I mean, Marianne takes Mallory Byron. Margo and Nikki or somebody into town and they go to trampoline land and miniature golf and they use Claire's gift card uh, okay. or her, her coupon. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Fine. I guess there was some payoff tied up in a neat little bow, Emily. Yeah. Perfectly tied up. <laughs> um, speaking of tying things up, this just, I want to point out on page 107, this is when Stacy's having a little self-reflection about everything that's happened. And she says, so by the end of the day, the triplets were together again and Marianne and I were together again. But Scott and I had come apart. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Such high drama. Well, Such high what drama. What I love about this, that I love that, you know, all of the other sitters see Stacy as super sophisticated and this book just breaks it down. Oh, you know, because truth, truth about Stacy you see her struggling with a lot of things, but you don't see her as a, as a young person as much. Like she's really quite mature and she is sophisticated in a lot of ways, but she's also still 13. Right. And so Mm -hmm. she's not going to be good at stuff and she is going to be, you know, I'm sure we can all find journals from where we were like 12 and a half, 13. And we, we did not have much chill, you know, like I think that that, that line of pretty chill and I had come apart. Yeah. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think that that's what's so beautiful about this book is that it exposes her and exposes her insecurities. And then that's also what allows for that bridge between her and Stacy. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do we have any tallies for this book? Yeah. So not a lot, though. Stacy continues to be um, less judgmental than the other babysitters. This was true. Truth About Stacy only had a couple. And um, this one has the same ones represented as Truth About Stacy. So she refers to herself as sophisticated once, and she refers to Marianne as shy once. But that's it. So that brings our totals to... 13 for babyish, 12 for bossy, 9 for sophisticated, 12 for shy, only one for sensitive so far, and one for exotic. And um, Dawn is still not described at all <laughs> so far. So rude. <laughs> I want my tropes. <laughs> and then um, social justice wise, we've already um, talked about one. So the Smith town being portrayed as this lovely colonial village It's portrayed as boring, but it's also portrayed as this cool, interesting way to spend an afternoon. And, and um, we're making an assumption that uh, the indigenous experience is erased at Smith town, but I think it's a pretty good assumption. <laughs> um, and then the other one that jumped out to me um, was on page 22. It's the beginning of the chapter where they go to the Pike's house to leave for sea city and Stacy says, the next morning I discovered the meaning of the word madhouse. Mm. And I was like, no, no, mm. you didn't. <laughs> and that's not, that's not very good. So, um, 
yeah, those were the only ones that jumped out at me um, for our SJW account. And no candy at all, Annie? No. I mean, it is a Stacy book, and Claudia was away at like summer camp or whatever with her family. So right. no they real... do get, well, actually, right. So just no Claudia candy. Candy's yeah. still mentioned though, right? Because the pipes candy get a Candy is still mentioned. Breaker. And like Marianne gets like fudge or something, but pertaining to mm-hmm. Claudia, no. Fair enough. Should we go into favorite lines? Yes, please. So I just have, my, my favorite line was from Claire Pike when she said, Gerber Garden. It's a classic one. It's a classic. Fair enough. But then, like, ha ha ha, she says that every year. Yeah. It's like, yeah, she's five. Yeah. (laughs) I only had one, which was um, Marianne describing herself as looking like a tomato with hair after her sunburn. (laughs) Um, I've often felt like a tomato with hair for many reasons in my life. So that I just remembered it very strongly. So that's that's mine. I had a couple. I really liked that the very first line of the book was, how do you think you're supposed to behave in a mansion? (laughs) (laughs) Stacey asks her mom that. Uh, And then I also loved in the Watson, uh, Watson's car fiasco chapter, Christy says, Christy's like, we don't have to tell mom, right? And he's like, no. And then she says something about, I forgot to, Fold the page over. She says the phrase, when chickens have lips, as like a way to denote their promise to like keep it zipped. <laughs> I, I didn't write that down because I yeah, find maybe it. Maybe she should hang out with Toby. Yeah, I find it so disgusting. So <laughs> gross. Um, the other one that I thought was really funny, this is not a weird line, but I was like, would, would this have been a thing that 12-year-olds would know at this point? When the girls are like having a, they're at Christy Watson's new house, Christy's new house, uh, before they all go on their vacations. And Marianne's like, Oh, I have an idea. Why don't we all write down the addresses of where we're going to be staying so we can send each other postcards. And they're all like, yeah. And they just happen to know the addresses off the top of their heads and like write them down and exchange them with one another. Is that how realistic is Uh, that? Yeah. I, I remember knowing a lot of addresses before there were emails to know and people's individual cell phones to know. But like you so think like, that you think if you were Marianne and, and or Stacy that you would have known the address of the Pike's rental house in Sea City before you got there. And like known it well enough to have it memorized to write it down for Claudia and Christy and Don. If I'm Marianne and my dad is Richard Spear and he's actually agreed to let me go, you bet your ass I know that address. Mm-hmm. Right, because that would have been a contingency for him. Right. Okay, okay, fair. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Claudia, knowing the address of the Mountain Resort in New Hampshire, is very unlikely. Okay. Yeah, no way. Well, I'm happy for Gerber Garden to be the... The the very obvious but appropriate choice for this book. (laughs) Gerber Garden. That's fine. Yeah, that works for me. What should we pizza toast to? Also Gerber Garden. Albuquerque. <laughs> the the rights of the workers at Gerber Garden to unionize and form a collaborative to Or we could pizza toast to the creative rights to the reality show Whoops <laughs> <laughs> about the about the pikes <laughs> family <laughs> planning mishaps. <laughs> okay, I'm on it. That sounds good to me. And Okay, sure. Pizza toast to whoops. <laughs> to whoops. Whoops. <laughs> 
<laughs> this episode of Stuck and Stuckenberg is now adjourned. <laughs> Thank you to Anna Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate and review us on iTunes, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for. Thank you.